everybody. Welcome back to the Overrun Podcast. My name is Ed Bowder. I'm Anna Ryan. And today we have Hillary Gates with us from Prodigy EMS. We're going to learn all about education and how we can get back into the classroom after two years of the world being on fire. So, Hillary, for those who haven't uh, heard of you or haven't been introduced, let us know who you are and uh, let's start solving some problems. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Anna. Really excited to be here. So, um, I, like many medics, was first a high school English teacher, and then I became a paramedic. Um, how classic did I get there? Path. Yeah, classic. <laughs> how did I get there? My students were volunteering at the local uh, rescue squad when I was teaching high school, and they convinced me to go on a ride along, and look what happened. So um, it was an awesome experience being taught how to be an EMT by a 16-year-old who I then taught the next day. Um, in the classroom, <laughs> but um, no, truly it was. All of them are now, you know, physicians and and uh, surgeons and stuff. So they've just become amazing people. Um, and uh, I, I left uh, teaching full time and decided to um, decided to work as a paid medic in Northern Virginia in a fire department, and then uh, continued to teach. Continued to stay. Uh, really connected to education. I teach uh, in the School of Education for my alma mater, American University. I've uh, been teaching there for a little more than a decade as an adjunct um, and also helping new teachers in the classroom. So when student teachers go out into the classroom and their clinical experience, their field experience, um, I help them with their skills and, and learning how to, how to teach in the classroom. And then, uh, yeah, and then I, I got to put all my my seemingly disparate um, talents together as a paramedic and educator and a writer. And I worked for EMS World for three and a half years as a content and program director, doing lots of writing and collecting and editing and uh, EMS World expoing and uh, left there last year. And I'm now the director of educational strategy at Prodigy EMS, which is an Learning management, learning management system, and we are growing like crazy and having a really good time um, trying to provide the best education we can online. This took your uh, paramedic refresher. It's like literally the reason I still have my NREMT. Thank you, you and you and twenty. I'm sorry, you and yeah, I'm not alone in that. Five thousand other people. Yeah, we've been. Yeah. yeah, thrilled by that. Thrilled. So, just for those who have been uninitiated, the the twenty five thousand you're mentioning, they all went through your program. That was a a free CME program. Um, That's and it's, right. It's, and, it it worked. It worked. Everything was accredited, and uh, everyone still has their cards. Yeah, and you know what? This was the the this was due to the generosity and the love of the profession by leaders in the field like Tom Boothley, Peter Antevi, Paul Pepe, and the Prodigy team who put this all together because they knew that people needed badly to be educated remotely by subject matter experts. And so they literally just asked everybody they knew who were, were the subject matter experts in airway and cardiac arrest and pharmacology and anything under the sun. And everyone said yes. And it was all free and no money changed hands. And, and look what happened. It, it was an incredible um, endeavor. I'm really proud to be um, part of that team. I think it's also kind of an important sort of proof of concept where I think a lot of places are worried about getting thought leaders, you know, industry leaders into their particular project. And, you know, trying to have some kind of class there. And I tend to think that you could just ask them a lot of times. Right. And a lot of them will say yes. Um, you know, Anna will certainly confirm the amount of people that we've spoken to just on this show, uh, just from being like, do you want to talk to us for a bit? Almost 
everybody is like, oh yeah, sure. That sounds like a great idea. The things we've done on this show so far has been like, we're going to shoot this shot and then just hope for the best. And I mean, why would they know? Exactly. And they don't say no because they want to talk about what they're passionate about. So they're going to say yes every time. Absolutely. Which is, it's one of the reasons that we wanted to talk to you today, because we want to talk about how education delivery has changed over the past two years, just during with, you know, of course the pandemic and the world just ending. So because now it seems like we're sort of getting out of the woods with COVID-19 and like that, people are starting to get back into regular classrooms. What do you think are the big lessons we've learned over the past couple of years? And what do you think are some of the bigger challenges we're going to have getting back into the classroom? Great questions. They're huge questions. We could do this all day. Um, You know, one of the things that uh, I think is a huge benefit to this pandemic in terms of um, education is that we've learned that this idea of flipping the classroom or doing online lecturing and then um, skills in person is actually not that hard. It seemed daunting when when you're handed a class or voluntold to teach or um, you know you get promoted and someone says okay you're going to teach now, um, you rarely get any training on how to do that. And one of the things that you fall back on because you're busy and because you've had no training is maybe the PowerPoint that comes with the textbook uh, that you're using in your paramedic um, course. And so um, not, not because you want to be uh, an ineffective educator, but because you don't have an, any other choice because you don't have enough time to learn or no one's teaching you how to be a good teacher. Um, you uh, just rely on, on kind of what's given to you. Well, now that we know that we could record some of those lectures, that we could bring in subject matter experts by literally just asking them um, if, they, if they would like to come and speak to your class, um, we can knock out those lectures, not have students sitting completely bored or um, daydreaming in their seats for four or five, six hours listening to a PowerPoint, and instead do that in a way that is much better for the student with a pause button, with um, a 0.5 speed or a 1.5 speed, depending on how quickly or slowly you want to get through the material. And if you think about how much better that is for the student to have a self-paced learning environment, that's a cool lesson from the from the pandemic is that those, uh, those ways to deliver direct instruction um, should be reserved for a, a virtual space and not and we should take advantage of the times that we can be physically together to do things uh, physically, to do hands-on skills, to work in groups, to practice like we play, to go through scenarios, and to really get um, facile with the with the skills and the abilities that we need in the field. So I think that's the first thing is is this ability to get. Um, anyone we can online to teach and not relying on um, kind of canned material that we're getting from a publisher. So I'm interested in your thoughts on this. Obviously, skill stations and things like that have to be conducted in person, but just ballpark percentages, how much of of a class, let's say an, an introductory EMT class, let's say we're starting from scratch, how much would you say do you think can be taught online exclusively? And how much do you think should be sort of a, an in-person hybrid between the two of them? Yeah, I I think um, that the, those skills portions, and we're seeing it happen right now. I just did it myself with uh, PALS. If any, if any of you have been taking the HA classes that now have the heart code or the online version first, so it took four, four hours. Such, of, a, such a blessing. My God. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I've killed Jose like four times. <laughs> All you gotta do is set him up. That's a cheat code for everybody. I have my bad guys. Um, good point. And, and so, so all of that stuff can be done ahead of time so that again, the value of being in person is to be with other people, work in a crew, do the things that we do in the field for real, um, and not talk through things or click through a scenario on a screen, you know, as far as percentages, Ed, I'm not sure, but I think more more of the uh, didactic instruction or almost all of it can be online. And then we can save the classroom for uh, labs, for scenarios, for working together and for uh, doing other things like that are not direct instruction, small group learning, presentations, um, watching videos, stopping the video to, to, to talk through what just happened that we watched, um, you know, learning anatomy and physiology with hands-on kinds of things. So, I think the majority of a, of a course, the didactic portions can be done self-directed online with lectures, readings, um, audio, whatever you, whatever you want to put together. I like doing somersaults. And this is why I love the mute button on zoom because like, I'm like cheering in the background. I'm like, say it again, Hillary, say it again <laughs> for the people in the back. Oh my gosh. Because this is not, you know, I, I think the, the biggest takeaway that like, at least my shop has taken away from from the pandemic is definitely that we are not turning out clinicians, right? And before the pandemic, what we're turning out is people who can definitely answer a, a question and they can answer a, a skill sheet and they can show you that they can trauma naked somebody or give an albuterol treatment or something along those lines. But like when push comes to stuff, can they think their way out of a paper bag? So if I'm using my in-person time to if I'm giving them information, they can, they, I can Google half the stuff that I have lectures on. And like, that's fine. This is the information age. I have, I have a, a, a cell phone that will give me everything. I could learn that's to right. be an EMT from scratch from iPhone. Um, they probably have another podcast on it. Um, but like what, what we, what we bring our, our students in to do is to learn to talk to each other. And I think that's a, that's a huge aspect of like actual, like clinical practice is learning to like be with other people and use other people's minds in like the way that you're supposed to, to think through a problem. So yes. Well, yes, Anna, uh, louder for the people in the back. So say exactly that, think about the, um, the forced arbitrary and um, fake nature of some of the scenarios that we run because we don't have the things at our disposal or we, um, don't bother to go get those things to make the call real, right? So if you're yeah. using, for instance, um, mannequins, right? Dress the mannequin. We don't come ac across people. I saw this the other day on some um, social media post. We don't come across people um, very often who are completely naked. So put clothes on the mannequin to make it more real because- have been a lot know, of beach towns, have you? Well, I'm sorry, <laughs> you guys You guys are the exception. Um, and, and so- Doing things like that or using, if you're not using mannequins, using, you know, live simulation and actually having a patient who's screaming and yelling or um, slipping in the shower and is wet and hard to pick up. I keep, I keep going on this naked theme. I'm not sure why, um, but doing the things that um, replicate what we see in the field will make it so we're not going to get what you just said, that robot or that um, kind of a uh, person who can repeat the skill sheet and standing in a, in a real house with a real patient on a real call and saying, what's my blood pressure, right? They're looking around the room for the, for the, the, the person who's running the, this, the scenario to ask what the blood pressure is instead of actually putting the cuff on the patient. 
Yeah, because it, it takes them it takes them off into their next step, and it's like, why why do you have steps? Just by that time you get to the hospital, did you do everything? Then great. If you didn't, then like, and, and do you know how you got there? Fantastic. If you don't, then now we have to debrief. But that's that's our effective mechanism. Absolutely. I'm I'm interested in what you two would think in uh, for using like almost like lo-fi hi-fi simulation where you know having your because typically when you have to do like assessments and exams you would have two classmates you know just assess each other take vital signs whatever else do you feel there's any value to you know say spritzing somebody with water to make them appear diaphoretic or anything like that or is that just is that just like a silly fun thing that might also be helpful in its own way but do you feel like that actually adds anything to the educational component you know, I'm going to say yes, Ed, because, because the, <laughs> yes, everything no. helps do it all yeah. the time. <laughs> I mean, think about it. it. It, um, I read, I think it was on your blog. You guys, one of your blog posts talked about, um, listening to lung sounds on, on, uh, each other in the, in the classroom. Well, unless, uh, I'm mistaken, very few people in the classroom are going to be wheezing or have crackles or, uh, COPD or CHF so- sounding lungs. So if you're listening to lung sounds on, on sick, on patients who are not sick all the time, you're never going to really be familiar with that sound. So you have to use that back to your low fidelity, high fidelity. You have to use this, the things that are available and there are tons of things available, right? Not just YouTube, but fancy stuff stethoscopes and, um, and training devices and everything that have these things. So it's the same thing as always taking a blood pressure on a, on a 21 year old, healthy young man. Um, that's going to be pretty easy when you get really good at that. But when you get to a 75 year old, whose, um, anatomy is much different and more difficult and you're, and you can't figure out which cuff fits properly and they move around too much. I mean, there's that's, that's reality. And we know that as educators and we have to replicate that in the classroom. I think it also says something for the cognitive load too, right? I think um, Ginger Locke had actually done a, a show on this. The more you see, the more you're going to remember, the more it becomes rote. So if I'm spritzing someone's face with like, you know, water, glycerin, something like that to show that they're diaphoretic, I'm going to have a, a clinician that walks out of my classroom and says, that's what diaphoresis looks like. Absolutely. I remember the first time I ever gave anyone nitro I had memorized. I mean, I, I still have the sheet that I wrote in you know, four point font, every single drug <laughs> that we ever gave side effects, you know, uh, black box warnings, all that stuff, contraindications. And I gave someone and I knew nitro up and down. Right. But I had never given it. I gave it. And a minute later, the person looked at me and said, Oh my God, I have such a headache and I'm a little bit nauseous. And I thought, Oh yeah. Just like my sheet says. So we yeah. make that connection, <laughs> right? I'll never forget that. And so it, it, I didn't need the sheet to do that for me. It, it would have been, you know, replicated down the, down the line. Every person I give nitro to from then on, obviously got a headache and nauseous. Well, and that's part of the thing with the, with, you know, the rote memorization of the sheets that we've all seen where it's like, yes, that's, that's the next thing that's going to happen. You, now you're going to throw up, go ahead. <laughs> you know, without actually like making any preparations for that thing. I, yeah, I, I can see how that, that would be more effective. I, I have a vague question here on the rundown and I, I'm, I'm excited to ask it because I, I think it can kind of open up a big conversation, but what are the big lessons we've learned since 2020? And <clears throat> what, when I ask that, I want to know sort of, you know, we're, we're entering a new phase in, education, medicine, the world, life, whatever, whether or not we want to, uh, I guess, accept that. So how do we, I guess the question is, how do we stop ourselves from going backwards? Mm. Because I, I worry about that sort of slow decline back to where we were 
you know, because this is this is the time where you start seeing like, you know, the, the never forget stuff that tends to come out, like remember what it was like two and a half years ago. And I, I, I worry as an industry, we're going to start sliding back to where that was. So how, how do we start pushing forward? How do we maintain whatever progress we've we've achieved over these past two years? Well, as I said earlier, we as educators in EMS and probably in a lot of adult learning um, environments don't get uh, education on how to be a good educator. And during this last two years, we did actually, because we had to, we were forced to. And either we got our own education on and learned how to use Zoom or Teams or whatever your, your favorite platform is. Um, and we pivoted and we were nimble and creative and we came up with cool ways to do breakout rooms. And we, um, we saw educators who, um, who did scenarios at home and had, had their, you know, their students grab a family member and assess them on the camera and things like that. So we've proven that we're capable of teaching ourselves new stuff as educators, and we should continue doing that. And we should pat ourselves on the back for all the innovation that we made. And we should understand now that the world is different and that there are many ways we can deliver education that are better than what we did before. And, and this was forced upon us maybe kicking and screaming and it made us very tired and we're all still exhausted uh, because of it, but we're better for it. And so, Ed, I would say in, in classic Hillary cheerleader mode that we can do this, we can pivot and be nimble and creative, and we've become reflective practitioners in our own education. And we have realized that we can collaborate with each other, use each other, um, have these awesome ideas that we all share, FOMED, FOMEMS, um, and collaborate and, and really be professional practitioners of our craft. And so I think that uh, agencies and leadership and um, schools of education and academies, whatever you want to call them, need to continue to support that professional development in order to continue to improve rather than uh, regress. I think we have to identify this now as like the new standard too. This is not like we, there, when we say the, the idea is like, we don't want to go back. I don't think we can at this point. I don't think anyone who taught through this pandemic has the, like, I don't think, I don't think I have the wherewithal to do a three hour lecture anymore. No, thank you. Um, and I think Hillary's like, I think you hit it on the head. I had, I had instructors who we had just introduced to the flipped classroom model uh, who were still kind of balking a little bit at, you know, whether or not this was going to work and what kind of students we were turning out and that kind of thing. Uh, they told us that we couldn't show up to class the next day. And then they told us limited numbers. And with those limited numbers, we built a car out of cardboard and those people would have never done that. Right. So how do I ask those people to go back and be like, well, here's your cardiology lecture. Good luck with it. And not expect them to, to balk at that now. Mm -hmm. So I think our innovation has to be the standard. I think we have to just keep like, that part moving forward. I think we also have to start to listen to the students. I don't think that there's a student standard out there right now that says that we shouldn't be online in some kind of capacity. I don't think there's, so, especially in the last two years, there's, there's not a single medical student or someone who's pursuing medicine or just who's pursuing high school who has not at least seen an online lecture and knows how to interact with it. Yep. So I, I want to build out on that a little bit. Do because I think there's a, a, sort of an easy impetus to say that, well, online education is not the same as, as in-class education. Um, wh what do we think about that? And uh, 
do we think that it, it, because the question will come up, like, has the educational standard been changed or lowered? Um, Because I think in the eighties or the nineties, online classes were, you know, were bad. And a lot of people's mindsets haven't adjusted since then. Um, So what, what do we think about that? Do we think that moving a lot of things online has adjusted the educational standard or do we think that that's not really a big concern? I so think it's placed more of a demand on the on the instructor. I'm sorry to cut you off, Hillary, but go I, ahead. I think, no, continue. I think that this is uh so I mean, doing online lecture, doing online classes and that kind of thing demands a, a different technique. Right. Instead of engaging in a room, I have to engage people that I'm not actually engaged with. And I think that there's a, a lot of um growth that it had to happen for a lot of our instructors and get their technique down and that kind of thing. And I think that the engagement piece is super important to remember, especially in an online portion. Um, and it takes someone who's a little bit more gifted in that kind of uh, arena to to kind of make sure that that's an effective uh, medium. But I don't think that there is a difference anymore. I don't think that the standard, uh, let me say it this way. I don't think that we can definitively say that one form or delivery style of, of education is better or worse than another. Online, as, as Anna said, is different. And so... Um, talking about engagement is a great thing to talk about. If you're standing in front of a room of 30 students or 10 students or 15 students in person, there's a very different feel to the way that you are receiving feedback from them as learners, even if it's nodding or sleeping or, or hands raising or whatever it is, than there is online. And, and let's just assume, um, because otherwise we go down another rabbit hole that on a zoom call or on a, uh, online, um, environment that it's, um, synchronous so it's live and all of our students have their cameras on and that that feedback is different right but there's also more meaningful ways for you to do feedback and get um and uh get answers from your students on online in my opinion than there is in person so in person i can have my students raise their hands and and be a part of the discussion on zoom i can have every single student answer something in the chat all at the same time and it takes 10 seconds, right? And that's my way to check in and see if they're getting it. Um, I, I saw a cool little uh, tip the other day where you ask them to uh, to not hit enter until you say go, because if everyone just reads these, each other's answers, then you're not sure if they actually understand the material. So you say, okay, everybody load your answer in the chat, and then you wait, 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 till you've given them enough time to answer, and then you say hit return. Um, that's something you can't do very easily in the classroom. I've seen really cool hybrid versions of that where, um, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm doing uh, work with uh, student teachers in um, public schools in the DC area. And I watched one of my high school English teachers who was learning how to teach um, use the laptops that the kids have in the class during a class discussion on Canvas uh, with an online discussion board. Um, and it was so clever because he asked them to write a response to a prompt on the discussion board on Canvas. He had, a, he had it projected onto the screen so he could see it and all the other students could see each other's responses. And he was giving feedback to, the, to their responses in a typed manner, but also verbally all at the same time. We couldn't do that before. There's no way cool that exactly. There's what no way about? an English teacher, believe me, I, I know this can walk around a room of 35, 16 year olds and give feedback to every single kid. So, so that's what I mean by it's a different delivery. And Anna's completely correct that you, it does take 
more effort. You have to plan really carefully. If you're going to have breakout rooms or chats or whiteboards or all these, whatever these new apps that uh, Zoom just, just loaded, then you, you, you want to use those to your advantage. And, and uh, as I said before, there's tons of, uh, of online tutorials about how to do this. And guess who else is kind of an expert at, um, at uh, technology? Young people, our students, ask them, ask them to teach you something cool. So we're coming up on a, on a quick hard out. So I, I want to just, this is my, my biggest question that I'm always excited to talk to people about. What are you hopeful for moving forward? We've, we've just gone through all of this terrible stuff. You know, the world is the world is the world, but what are you excited for as it pertains to education or, you know, EMS classrooms moving forward? I, uh, as I said before, I'm excited for more innovation and for educators who have been energized by this um, terrible tragedy to um, continue to be energized and not settle and not um, fall back on um, something that they know is not effective. So that's the first thing. The second thing has to do with our audience and our students. And um, if you think about all the ways that technology can be a barrier um, for equity and for access, you can also think of all the ways that it could actually add to our audience. In other words, you think of a paramedic program that you used to have to drive to every day from eight to five to, to take your class, um, you no longer have to drive. So people who have, um, you know, are in a caregiver role or have to stay home or have another job that they have to work, if they can take two hours of a commute and put that back into a classroom, we're going to per- perhaps be able to attract a different kind of person or a whole new group of folks uh, to this industry um, because we can teach the majority of this stuff online. So I think um, I think that is a really exciting way for EMS to expand and also to um, tap into uh, what we know is a problem in EMS, which is um, a lack of diversity and equity. I think for for everything that we've all been through, I think the biggest thing I'm looking forward to is the kind of advancement in the practice that we're going to see after we kind of like stretch our limbs out a little bit in this kind of like techniques. So flip classroom, jigsaw puzzle, whatever it is, that, however, whatever technique it is that you're using as far as classroom management goes, integrating this kind of technology and this kind of uh, all these techniques and everything is going to produce a different kind of clinician. And those clinicians are going to go out and they're going to expand the practice. I, as a paramedic, can't give whole blood and, you know, I can do X, Y, and Z and very cool, uh, you know, procedures that make me a paramagician, but it's not enough, right? It's, there should be uh, a community paramedic program where we live and there should be a, um, a responder blood. vehicle. And, and a you whole know, blood like, program. You should whole get blood program. blood to trauma patients. Yes. Yes. All the time. <laughs> um, different thing. No pasta water. Anyway, uh, we, um, so yeah, community paramedicine should, should be a huge thing. We should have degrees for paramedics. We should have EMTs. This should be a, 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 an associate's degree at best. Uh, instead of being a five-month turbo run through a hope you you get a body to a hospital type of course. Um, but that's what this is showing us, that we can do that. And we can, you know, build out minds that are interested in being built. Um, and then taking that in the culture and moving that forward. We're no longer going to be like the, you know, the schlubs at, at, the, at the station with our boots un, uh, untied and our pants uncuffed and all that other stuff, we will be the educated providers that we know we are and get what we deserve for it. And that's where I think, and you know, I'm an educator, so like everything begins in the classroom, but like it kind of does. 
Um, so yeah, that's what I, um, that's what I'm hopeful for. Is that like you know, is it going to happen tomorrow? Probably not. But there's, I think that this has potential for like real big cultural change for for our industry. I, I hope that's kind of where we end up with it. I hope that you know big picture we all kind of realize like all right we can deliver this education online it can be done asynchronously you know we don't need i i think that we're gonna i worry that we're gonna stick to the old model because that's the way we've always done it because that seems to be how we do it in ems you know i don't think uh, our students will allow us to do that yeah, I, I think they're, they're gonna, I, man i hope not <laughs> yeah they're gonna demand excellence i, I right? sincerely gonna, hope that yeah. we have a whole bunch of the whatever it is it's gen z and gen alpha coming up being I like you want me up. to you want me to go to a, a brick and mortar building outside? I'm also, yeah. I don't want to do any of that. That sounds yep. terrible. Yeah. But Hillary Gates from Prodigy EMS, thank you so much for joining us today. It was Pleasure super, super fun to talk to you. Super educational. For the overrun, I'm Ed Bowder. I'm Anna Ryan. And we'll talk to you guys next time.